Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Hi, it's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so pleased to be joined by my friend Kalita Blessing. Kalita is a certified financial planner, and she is president of Quest Capital Management located in Dallas, Texas. She is also a chartered socially responsible investment counselor, and today we are going to be diving into the world of socially responsible investing and environmental social and governance investing, so I couldn't think of a better person to chat about it with. Kalita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Well, I um, know that we both have talked about ESG investing and sustainable investing over the years. You've been a friend. And when, I have, when I'm working on something in the area, you're definitely one of the first people I think of to ask, have you done this or talked about that? So I want to do some definitions first of what the heck we're talking about today. And then we can talk about kind of the origin story of your path to this type of investing. So what is, I know there's a lot of um, letters, SRI or ESG, what what does that mean? Yeah, thanks for asking, because I think that's very foundational. And just before we start, I will say, I also think of you when I'm thinking about this space, <laughs> because anytime I have a question or a thought as to how to implement or what to do, I'm like, I need to call Melissa about this. So um, I think we have uh, equal advocacy for each other in this space. The SRI terminology and ESG is often confused and you find some people using only SRI and you find other people only using ESG and and they are used interchangeably um, often. SRI stands for socially responsible investing and it really is an older term um, that we used to use all the time. ESG is stands for environmental, social, and governance. And that is a newer term that we're using more often now. Um, and so some of you who have been in the business for a long time may remember SRI. Some of you who are new to the business may just know ESG and never heard of SRI. But the main thing with SRI is that it's really the umbrella terminology that encompasses everything. It's kind of the it's really the term that has been um, uh, embraced by the globally by the financial industry. Um, and it's an all-encompassing term that includes things like ethical investing, green investing, uh, impact investing, socially responsible investing. That's one of them. Uh, triple bottom line investing, um, mission-based investing and ESG investing and sustainable. So all those things, uh, all those different areas actually make up the total umbrella of the definition of socially responsible investing. In the USSIF, I can send some of these links um, in maybe the show notes if you do that, Melissa. Yes. Uh, it might be helpful for people to dig down further as to what all those terms that I just went over meant. Um, but ESG is really specifically about the focus on issues and factors so specifically around 
environmental, social, and governance issues, and using those three um, areas as perhaps a factor or a screen that you might use in a portfolio. And the terms ESG are, I think, growing in terms of recognition and awareness. It seems there's no definition of who is interested, but more um, women are focused on this. And then younger investors tend to be the groups that, as investment professionals, we're told these people will be demanding more knowledge and and capabilities and options within environmental social governance investing or socially responsible investing. I might say that it these types of investments are investments where there is a financial motivation, but there's also additional criteria or purpose associated with the strategy. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's just um, of a slight shift in one's thinking in terms of aligning one's value with one's investment portfolio that I don't know that we've always done, but I think it's becoming more mainstream now than it ever has been. And and so I think as you explain that um, to folks, they do become a little more interested. I will say though, just last week, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, the SEC named a senior policy advisor for ESG matters. Interesting. His name is Satyam Khanna. I don't know if I've got that uh, pronunciation right, but I know I have the spelling right. Um, And so, um, I mean, it tells us what the new administration is really serious about this. And the SEC is very, is understanding how mainstream ESG is becoming on so many different fronts. So they have named a senior policy advisor, and he actually went to, I can't remember his schooling, but um, primarily it was in the governance area, not so much in the social and environmental area. But I think he'll be a great addition to this whole emphasis from the top down, you know, our regulator, essentially. Right. There's been some shifting winds, depending on the administration in the past, where especially for 401k plans and Department of Labor regulation, there were some um, regulations that would try to discourage the options of ESG investments. So there's definitely more clarity, at least for the next four years. And sometimes I describe this as a new concept for me, but I, I kind of had an aha where to me, some of this investing may be incorporated into your traditional strategies over time. I look at it like fuel economy, where everybody's kind of going in that direction. And these additional criteria, I think, will be more and more a part of criteria for investment decisions. And so your decision to have your portfolios aligned that way is really just kind of fast forwarding for your portfolio to where I think um, many pools of money are going. Yeah, no, I think that's a good analogy. I mean, we go and fill up our car these days, and you can choose, you know, what kind of fuel you're going to put in your tank based on your car and all the other parameters that you want. And that's kind of very similar to what we're doing here. And I think there will be far more integration. I mean, I can foresee a day where someone actually has a very, um, I'd say ESG focused portfolio, but they might not know it um, Mm -hmm. because of it being so much more integrated um, into what we do every day. That's right. So I would love to hear the origin story of how did you personally become interested in this type of investing? I, I actually was interested in this type of investing before I ever became a financial advisor. Um, wow. So I was on the investment committee of the what was then called the Dallas Women's Foundation. This was back in the mid-80s. 
And there was a huge mandate around the pot of money that we were trusted with in terms of um, trying to understand what to do with it around uh, apartheid. And back then, it was all about um, being divesting the portfolios so that it did not have any companies that were doing business in South Africa. And I know that sounds like probably dinosaur age, but that was what we were talking about and very um, focused on in the 80s. And out of that kind of grew this, um, to some degree, this SRI and then ESG investing. So that's actually how I even was introduced to it was like, I'd never heard of such a mandate. And so got into it and really became very interested in it, but I didn't really pick it back up. Then I got to be a CFP and started as a a baby advisor and moved on down the road um, and didn't really pick it back up uh, until, you know, I want to say maybe seven years ago or so when I, um, my largest client, um, really came to me and said, I really, my sister has this mandate on her portfolio and her portfolio is being managed by so-and-so. And I really want to have um, my portfolio managed with a similar mandate. And she had some very specific issues that she wanted to be sure that we were not investing in, specifically some of the ones that you probably, um, you know, a, away from alcohol and away from firearms um, were the two first of all, and then it kind of grew from there. <clears throat> In addition, my partner, also her largest client, um, had this mandate and had it for many, many years, like I want to say 25 years. So started really with this mandate. And so Mary was the one in our firm that would go to the ESG conferences and then would bring back the reporting to us to hear more about it. And so I learned a lot from Mary um, through this time and now you know work with that client. So it, it has evolved from some of our largest net worth clients and, and now um, the kids of our clients who are bringing it forward to their parents around the dinner table and saying, mom and dad, you know, have you talked to your financial advisor about this kind of thing? Are you, is that something you want to do in your portfolio? That sort of thing. And then the parent brings it to me. So I think there's three types of advisors nowadays that when um, some advisors just say, no, I don't do that. Um, and a client may ask, and the answer is no. So I've actually um, worked with clients where they asked former advisors for this type of investing and, you know, the door was shut or in some cases, and we'll get around to the myths of investing. They were just told, no, you're going to compromise on your returns. I won't do that for you. There's a group of advisors who, when a client asks for it, they go and they go to their, you know, um, broker dealer or custodian's website, find the ESG section of the website, say, here's your choices. I can put you in one of these things. And then in our both of our practices, we've incorporated it as an option that is well-researched. It's, it's part of our, our um, choices within the business. And I think for my practice, I won't speak for you, Kalita, but um, you can share as well. It's a growing component um, where we ask as we are developing our portfolios and also at our investment policy reviews, whether um, the clients would like this to be an option. Unfortunately, we have um, you know information on how the investments behave as well, so they can make an informed decision um, and recognize in many cases that um, you know no, no future performance is guaranteed or assured, but there typically is not a um, noticeable detriment to choosing these types of investments. Yeah, and I think that's 
So accurate. I mean, Melissa, you and I both use uh, an investment policy statement, an IPS, uh, for every portfolio that we manage. And we've been doing that since, you know, 87, the beginning of Quest. Um, but I think for people that are wanting to start the conversation uh, around this topic and perhaps have not found an easy way to do it, I think a perfect way is with that IPS, the investment policy statement, because it's such an easy conversation just to begin saying, well, the policy statement is really supposed to be a guideline of how we're going to manage your portfolio going forward. And so let me ask you a few questions about how you think about certain things so that I can be sure that the guidelines are in fact um, mirroring with what you're, you envision. And so that's just a perfect opening and way to begin the conversation. And it could be like, you know, I'm just not interested in that. Okay, fine. You know, but at least you've teed it up and you've asked and they may come back to you and remember, you know, you might remember a couple of years ago, you asked me that really stupid or really peculiar question or whatever. And actually now my kid is asking me about this and whatever. And so they'll bring it back up, but it's really up to each of us, the advisors to bring it up. And even if the advisor, if the client initially says, no, I'm really not interested uh, just to place that little placeholder there in their memory. I think is important. I think that's valuable. And and we also, you know, conversations like this are an easy access point. That's why we want that out there to share for the people who are exploring and who are interested. And, you know, I was just having a conversation with someone this week. I saw her work is very, um, she's an artist who's working closely with environmental causes in her day-to-day career by choice. You know, that's where her passions are. And I asked her about, Um, as we were developing her financial plan, if she wanted information on this type of investing. And she said, no, I don't think so. Um, And I, you know, kind of asked why, because it it surprised me. And there's a belief that you would pay for investing in these types of strategies with a cost to your performance. So let's shift the conversation for a moment and just talk about you know, the myths and realities of this type of investing. What What have your observations been? Yeah, there are so many myths around this and and theme. Our common myth is um, ESG investments earn lower returns. Um, That's a very common myth, which can be easily debunked now, actually. Um, Even the CFA uh, Institute has a little study group now that they have formed um, over the last several years, actually, about how that really isn't the case any longer. But you know, and I find many CFAs, I know I'm picking on them and I don't mean to, but um, I think because it's such an old and um, respected uh, profession, the CFAs, um, it's been heartening for me to see them kind of come around as a professional group to say, yes, this is here to stay. And, and some of these really are myths that were true a long time ago, but are really not true today. Um, another myth is, uh, there are just not that many options. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you and I, Melissa would say that just, you know, with JP Morgan coming to the table and PIMCO and other really large, um, mutual fund companies coming to the table and having so many much more, more offerings. Um, it's really remarkable what we have at our disposal today versus where we were even 10 years ago. Right. Yep. And I look at the 2021 annual newsletter from BlackRock to their shareholders, that this type of investing was as much of the newsletter as any other topic. So, um, and that's not, that's not an anomaly. It's the biggest asset managers are moving that direction because of 
the myths aren't true on performance because the appetite is there because the rest of the world wants it more and they recognize that you know they're they are their clients are here and around the world so it's really interesting another myth common myth is um shareholder engagement doesn't work because that's part of the esg work is um having these portfolio manager teams actually call the companies and ask them or have a conversation with the companies around, um, you know, moving the needle on either the environmental or social or governance um, issues that they may not have scored well on. And I was just on a call yesterday with, uh, and this is not a pitch, uh, the PAX Elevate um, Women's Leadership Global Fund They've had some very strong, I mean, important conversations with several other portfolio companies. One of them is Amazon. You'd be very surprised to know. They've just added Amazon to their portfolio, I think, in the last, let's call it, three or four months. So they In 2014, this fund and their team actually had a conversation with Amazon about pay equity and how um, they really hadn't done a very good job on pay equity. Now, they have they do a pay equity analysis every year. Um, and they publish those results and they make tweaks um, to everybody across the platform. And that's actually why Amazon was actually added to Pax Elevate's um, mutual fund just in the last, like I said, three or four months, which might be surprising to some folks. Um, I just pick a name that everybody would know. But I think shareholder engagement does work, actually. And I think it's been proven in, with many of these fund companies, especially people like BlackRock and JP Morgan, the big names in industry. I think they have a lot of muscle where they can they can really move the needle on some of these issues. Yeah, you have boutique asset managers. PAX is one good example. Um, and then you also have big institutional investors. And then you have a coalescence of a growing population of people with access to capital who are also demanding the conversation. So it, it was interesting this year, um, we follow Raymond James um, Capital Markets Research that one of their 10 themes for the year is ESG investing. That's exactly. not just because it's a nice, good, touchy-feely story. That's because there are um, there's a trend here. And there also, you know, recent performance would seem to indicate that there isn't that penalty. Are there any like other myths that you think about? I mean, clean tech, going back to that clean yeah. tech was actually the top performing sector last year in 2020. And all of us sat in front of our TVs or screens or whatever, you know, in March and April and just couldn't believe that we could see those clear skies over San Francisco or those clear skies over Beijing or any other number of popular, you know, cities that have smoking around them quite a bit. Um, And so, you know, it was like, wow, that's what it could look like. And so when you have a vision like that, that's very real and in front of you and very in an intimate way, you start asking the question, well, how can I help in that regard? Um, so that's been, I think that this pandemic in for this space has been amazingly helpful. Um, I think the other myth that I hear a lot is um, it's just a passing fad. Well, I think we've talked mm-hmm. about that. It's not really a passing fad. And the SEC is actually putting a policy advisor in place and so many other things are happening. Um, I don't think it's a passing fad. And I don't think it's just a fad for um, women um, or no. younger investors either. But that is a common myth. Oh, yeah, that's for women. That's for um, kids of wealthy folks and that sort of thing. And that just, you know, that doesn't bear out with what I think you and I see in our practices today. I agree. 
Just talk briefly about the types of ways that you can incorporate these strategies in your in portfolios. So you mentioned clean energy stocks, and I think you've mentioned to me that that you have some clients with a sleeve of these types of stocks in their portfolio. Yes, I do. But some other emerging, you know, options are direct indexing, where you could put a thematic overlay, um, and that's um, it's more sophisticated. We could talk about it more more in detail in a whole podcast all its own. Um, but it marries technology with investment strategy. For me, I primarily use exchange traded funds and mutual funds for my um, exposure to ESG. But but you can always start with a foundation and then tailor based on the client's desires or or passions or needs. Um, in addition, I have moved many of my donor advised funds for those of you who are all doing that work uh, in the donor advised fund work. They have a, um, you know, you can choose an ESG portfolio for your client who's who has that mandate. Um, and I have many of my clients that want that mandate for their donor advised funds. So those are some other options that make that a little bit easier. I'm glad you mentioned that because my donor advised fund is invested in that strategy. And, and that's not something I think about often. I've also explored just a little bit um, the sustainable policies of asset managers. So some asset managers don't have ESG strategies themselves, but they do have policy on their own teams about their diversity and inclusion, about um, their governance, about how they may, they might do carbon offsets for the travel that they do when they go around the world to visit companies, et cetera. And then um, I also, within our investment committee, we try to make decisions where we give equal access to female investment managers and people of color, which is um, the very, very small percentage over the overall portfolio managers of the asset management industry. So there's so many different little nooks and crannies you can think about in the world of investing um, with putting weight to um, your power and your choices and your money. I, I hope that the, our listeners can hear the passion we have around this area, but also the, you know, it's not, it's not touchy feely. It's a really, you know, it's a, it's kind of a hard science of investing space. And so I think, you know, we could have many more of these conversations. We could have spoken for several oh, yeah. hours um, and probably will in the future. Uh, this is definitely one of the topics amongst many that I, I love to converse with you about Kalita. So thank oh, you thank so you much me. for providing a window into this world of investing of ESG and SRI investing. We'll keep the conversation going. Thank you so much. It's a true gift to be with you. Thank you. Thanks. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.